We are on the cusp of a major social change. Do you feel it? Even if you don't, make no mistake, change is coming, and it is going to be unforgettable. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Hart, and here on Prime Spark, where we work with and on behalf of women over 55, I want to help you find that spark that will ignite your way forward, reflect your gifts to the world, and illuminate your path through this next stage of life. Through these podcast conversations, I hope to inspire you to see how you can make a significant contribution to some of the gnarly problems that are facing us right now. Join me, and together, let's discover our prime spark. Hi, I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling and productive lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Catherine Lazarick, a woman whose work I greatly admire. Catherine Lazarick has been helping professional women and men learn to walk, talk, act, and look like leaders for over a decade and loves to challenge the status quo. She comes from a performance and education background with bachelor's degrees in music and education from the University of British Columbia and holds two international designations, certified image professional with the Association of Image Consultants International and professional certified coach with the International Coach Federation. When she's not working, she's busy writing and publishing collections of long stories in short poems available on all major platforms. Singing and songwriting, taking walks, and enjoying music and movies with her film editing husband and her wide circle of friends. Welcome, Catherine. I'm so happy you're here today. I am so happy to be here. I love the idea of Prime Spark because, of course, I don't know how many, your listeners probably already know this, but a lot of people don't. 50 to 70 are the most productive decades for women by far. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And Mm -hmm. we know that and research has shown it. And it's just taking a while for everybody to catch up with that. I know, right? It's like, get on the bus, people. Yeah, (laughs) they will. So Catherine, let me get started just by asking you, do you experience getting older? And if you do, what is that experience? And if you don't, why is it that you think that you don't? It's very interesting because I don't experience getting older if I think of my inside world. Because inside, I'm still five. (laughs) Right? So I have all the different ages, you know, the things that I've done inside. So I don't really experience myself as older from the internal perspective. But from the external perspective, I'm 52 now, so I'm turning 53 this year. There are things that I notice, like I'll look down at my hands and, I'll, and my hands are like, oh, I'm getting that sort of that papery look on my hands. Or, 
you know, going through perimenopause, it's like, I cannot shift my weight any longer. I used to be like 120 pounds all the time. Now I'm 160 and you know what? I, it's just not shifting. And so my body is different. And the interesting thing about that is I don't feel any less sexy. Like I feel completely fine. I love my body. I really feel great. Even though I'm shaped like an avocado, it's totally fine. Um, so yeah, so I'm experiencing it. It's just an interesting, it's, it's, I'm experiencing it as sort of an observational piece and as a style piece, because of course, part of my work is dealing with appearance related things. So I need to pay attention to that myself. Um, and I experienced that little bit of, I guess it's the invisibility and really wanting to fight against that. So like externally, I still feel like, oh, I'm this gorgeous 25 year old. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, right. I catch a glimpse of myself. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm a little older and wider now. That's so interesting, Catherine. I have interviewed so many women at this point, and 98% say something like you said that, yeah, yeah. I mean, on the outside, you know, I can notice physical changes and um, da, 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 da. But on the inside, I'm exactly the same. Um, in fact, and as a lot of women say, in fact, I'm happier because I don't really care so much what people think. Yes. Yes, it's very, um, I don't want to use profanity on your show if you're not into profanity. Oh, you, you, you can use profanity. It's fine. <laughs> when I talk to my clients, because I deal with clients, mostly women, in their th sort of from their 30s to their 60s. It's kind of my range of people, professional women that I'm working with. And I say to them, look, you know, in your 30s, you're kind of figuring it out. By the time you hit 40, you hit 40 and it's like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to do what I like. And then by the time you hit 50, it's fuck you, get out of my way. I'm going to do what I like. <laughs> it's a very different energy over 50 that I have to say I'm really enjoying, even though I'm only two years in. So I can't wait to hit 60. It just keeps getting better. I mean, the physical changes, our bodies change. So that sort of keeps happening. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it just keeps getting better. So mm -hmm. that's been my experience so far. Touch wood. <laughs> Just keep going. It will. That's right. Totally. Okay. So I'm curious, and you said that you like to challenge the status quo. Yes. What does that mean? I mean, I know what those words mean, but how, what does that mean for you? Well, I think there's a crisis in leadership right now in that we have this idea of what a leader looks like and how a leader sounds and how a leader behaves and all the books that are being written on executive presence in 2023 are the same exact books that, are, that were written in 2003. And they're all based on this male patriarchal ideal. And so for many years, we've been coaching women to do what men do. And I'm really tired of it. And the women that I'm working with are tired of it. So when I say challenging the status quo, I find myself in rooms where I need to be, I sort of aim to be like 10% over the line where it's not so far over the line that I'm going to alienate somebody or make them, you know, although alienating people is not a bad thing, right? <laughs> right. Um, I try to be enough over the line that it's making people think differently, but not so far over the line that they're just going to turn off. So for example, um, in this crisis of leadership, so we have these ideas of what a leader looks like. So there's not as many women in leadership, senior women. So then we have no representation. And then so people still have this idea of what a leader looks like. And it just is a self-perpetuating cycle. 
So my mission is to get more women into senior leadership faster and whatever I need to do to get them there, I'm going to do. And part of that is challenging men in those spaces. Um, I'll never forget one of the conversations I had with the white male, tall, blonde, blue-eyed, gorgeous CEO. Um, and we were in his office and I was talking to him about leadership and he's talking about how it's all merit-based and blah, blah, blah. And I leaned back in my chair. I went, easy for you to say, white guy. <laughs> and the look on his face. I don't think he's ever, ever had anybody say anything like that to him. And he just looked sort of shocked. And I said, it's easy for you to say what merit is and what you think it is not. But merit comes in many different shapes and sizes and forms. And leadership, the way you do it, is not the best way always. There are many different ways to lead. And women over 50 are learning this and starting to show their teeth. And I think that's great. I think that's great. And I I applaud what you're doing. I was I listened to a program last night that was presented by a very renowned group on um, um women in leadership in organizations, generally speaking. And mm-hmm. At the end of it, I was so depressed, I could almost (laughs) not get off the couch because they were saying the same things that we'd been saying for 20 years. And none of it has made any difference so far. The numbers are going down rather than up. And I'm thinking, what are we doing wrong? I mean, it's it, it is a complex issue, and I know that it's a complex issue. But one of the things one of the women said was, "We have to help men understand." <laughs> and I was just, "Oh, give me a break!" <laughs> oh, we've been doing so much emotional labor and so much mental labor for so long. I'm actually looking towards men who are in positions of power to do the educating for us. It's like, I don't need to help you understand. I need you to find Google and I need you to do some reading and I need you to talk to your buddies in the locker room, in the boardroom, wherever they are. I need you to be willing to be uncomfortable. I get it. You don't want to give it up. I get it. But I need you to be uncomfortable. And I think that's the message for men. It's like, are you willing to be uncomfortable? in order to make us all a better place to be. Because, the, I mean, you know, I know you know this, but patriarchy harms everybody. Men cannot be vulnerable and soft and care for their families, you know, except in very prescribed ways. Um, women cannot be seen as strong without being called a bitch. Except I love the acronym for that. It's being in total control of herself. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yep, that's right. Um, And I think the thing for women is we give up. We give up too easily. We get tired. We say we're not going to take any of this shit anymore. And we leave. We pick up our toys and go home. Instead of being willing to have those conversations, to show up in those spaces, to speak up against ageism, to speak up against all of the isms, sexism, whatever else that's in our way, we give up because we're like, nah, we'll just go, you know, I'll go retire and I'll go paint my paintings and travel the world and drink wine and dress however I want. 
and be independent, which is great, except we're not getting anywhere with that. And I think women give up. They're like, oh, I'm 50. I don't have anything to offer. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I get that you're tired and we're all tired. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I, um, I mean, uh, the point of this program I was listening to last night was uh, Mm -hmm. the numbers, huge numbers of women leaving uh, corporations. Sure. Because they've just had it, you know, they've they've just had it and they're just not willing to keep putting up with it, which of course then makes it even harder for younger women to progress because there are yes. no longer term women there. And so it's, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't know what it looks like. So I agree that the numbers are going down and I agree that, you know, I am as tempted as anyone to pick up my toys and go home. And I, I can't, I just can't, I can't. And I'm starting to talk more and more to the men in my worlds to say, Hey, you need to do the heavy lifting now. Uh, there's like uh, groups like Next Gen Men, um, Jake Stika's organization. There's um, Jackson Cats, all of those things. And I think the next time, and anytime a man asks me about, you know, what do I do? I'm like, there's Google. <laughs> That's what you do. There's Google. There's a thousand books. Why do I always have to do all the reading for you? I don't. Do it yourself. And my husband and I have certainly had some drawn out conversations about that. Let me tell you. Um, one of them being around a book called Drop the Ball by Tiffany Dufu, who is the woman who is responsible for a Washington organization to get young women into politics. And my hus- that's where my husband and I had a huge moment around mental and emotional labor, where it's that whole thing, if you ask me, I'll help you. No, no, I'm not your manager. You live here. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> right. So yeah, there, there's resources out there for men who are willing to do the work and women need to be more assertive in telling men, hey, you know what? You need to do the work. I'm not going to do that for you anymore. That's really I can have my own credit card. See yeah, ya. That's, that's, that's right. That's, um, that's interesting because I just, I just recoiled when this woman said we need to help men understand. And I was just, oh. Give me a break. Yeah. But I think one of the things I would be willing to do is offer some of those resources. Right. Go read this. Go look at this website. Go do this. Right. And and then come back and let's talk about it. But I'm not going to tell you what's there. That's right. Go Google the top 10 things men can do to advance women in leadership. Go Google that. It's there. Um, I just, yeah, I I feel that women over 50 have a certain obligation to reclaim their own power, first of all. Um, Because when I hear men, I hear some young, like young men are starting to get into this whole idea about women not being valued, et cetera, et cetera. And so much so that one of my friends, we were walking and her son said, why are you and mom feminists when all feminists want to do is take away men's rights? Right. And I'm like, oh, this kid's been listening to Andrew Tate on TikTok. No, no, no. (laughs) Like We need to nip that in the butt. And so what did she do? She met, so we chatted with him. We're like, oh, that's really interesting. Where did you hear that? And la, la. sure enough, he's been listening to some stuff on social media. And so then she said, I need to talk to my husband. My husband needs to talk to my son about what it means to be a feminist, about what it means to support women and how we all have a role to play in creating a better society. And that to me is the correct action. Yes. We go to the husband and say, husband, talk to your son. And if you don't know what to say, Go figure it out 
and talk to your sons. Because women have been talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and nothing is changing. And nothing is changing. Yeah. You know, so it's like, this is, this is the, this is the end. So I am interested in the, you as an image consultant and how you use that in coaching leaders, because when I was, I'm not in corporate anymore, but I spent many, 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 many years in corporate. And so many of those years I spent in suits <laughs> and with little ties and white shirts. Yep. And, um, I'm, I'm interested in how you're doing that now. I am a bit of an outlier in my profession because I hate shopping. I don't care about fashion. I like to look good. I like people to look good, but I really want it to be on their own terms. I'm not interested in following prescribed rules. So with my female, with my women clients, we talk about what is your unique style and how is that going to show up in the corporate world? So for example, one of my clients, when her daughter was born, she had to do a major conference presentation to a bunch of restoration technicians. So male dominated audience, male dominated industry. What did she do? She showed up in her, she's six feet tall and she, sh oh, actually, yeah, she's six feet tall and she wears four inch heels all the time. And I'm like, you go girl. And so she showed up to do this presentation on stage with her baby in a carrier, stylish carrier. It matched her outfit. It looked great in front of all these men to do this presentation. And that is representation. You show up, you look like a woman whatever a woman looks like to you, obviously, because we have a spectrum of gender, right? Non-binary, however you want to look at that. So my focus has always been, who are you as a person? How do you want to show up as that person? And we're not going to perform femininity. We're going to show up as we are. So that's one example of a client who has a very romantic, dramatic, personality archetype. She loves to feel sexy. She loves to wear high heels. She loves to wear um, beautiful, sexy clothes and she looks fantastic. So every time we work together, she always has to have an element of sex. And frankly, there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's a hundred percent to be, be sexy if you are sexy. And on the other end of the spectrum is someone like, like another client that I had who's a coach and she's, she's gay and she's very androgynous in her look. So then it, when she's in leadership rooms, we need to look at, okay, what color combination, what color combinations is she wearing? What kind of tailored clothing is she wearing? She likes things that are not too tailored, not too feminine, not too masculine. Um, you know, is she wearing brogues? What's her hair doing? Those kinds of things. So every single person that I look at is very individual. I recently worked with a partner at Deloitte and she's super colorful. Like her whole personality is incredibly colorful and she's busy wearing these ugly Navy suits. I'm like, what, why? So now she's wearing very colorful things and she gets noticed everywhere she goes. And we still have more work to do refining because there's always refining to do, but she gets noticed and people are like, wow, you look great. It's like, yes, I look great. Join the club. How has how has your coaching for men in style changed any over the years? <laughs> it's generally they're just more casual, right? So they're wearing more color. They're wearing because their options are not the same. Um, I have worked with non-binary and trans people, and so we look at again, it's the person, and how colorful do you want to be? How tailored do you want to be? 
what is the expectation of your industry? So whenever I'm looking at professional presence, I look at the three C's. This is a framework that I've developed over the last 12 years. Three C's. We look at your character. Who are you at a per- as a person? Because who we are at four is who we are at 104. That doesn't change. Um, we want to make sure that you look as good as you are. So character, we have to know who you are in order to make your outside match your inside. Then we look at congruence because we don't live in a vacuum. Can't just be about self-expression all the time. There has to be a component of where am I going? Who is my audience? Who am I meeting? How do I roll in that world? How much do I want to challenge that world by showing up differently? Where do I want to go with this? So there's a congruence piece that needs to happen and you need to look like what you are. So you know, if you are a bank manager and you're showing up looking like a Reiki practitioner, that's going to be incongruous. And you'll need to spend a lot of time explaining why you look that way, which is fine. If you want to do that and you want to challenge the status quo like that, go ahead. Just going to take you more time to explain things and you might take a hit to your credibility. So that's something to consider. And then the third C is control. You cannot control how someone's going to perceive you. They'll like you. They won't like you. They'll you know buy it. They won't buy it. You have a lot of control over what you put on your body. You have a lot of control over the way you behave. You have a lot of control over your intentions in life, where you want to go, who you want to be, how you want to show up in the world. So exercise as much or as little of that control as you like. Some people want more control. Some people don't want to exercise that much control, but pay a little bit of attention because no one sees, no one sees who you are unless you're willing to show them. And it's an act of defiance. And rebellion, as far as I'm concerned, to show up wholeheartedly. I don't think that you can be fully present unless you are whole. So the book that I'm writing now is Whole Person, Whole Presence. Because executive presence is dead. Honestly, it's dead. It should have died 20 years ago, but it's dead now. And now we need to talk about bringing your whole self fully to the world. And how to deal with situations where someone's like, oh, we really want to see your whole self in this situation. And then you show up and they're like, no, no, not like that. (laughs) Not that self. (laughs) Not that self. Like, okay, come on. So that's my work now in the world is really talking a lot about this whole presence and how to show up and be more than unapologetic. Be fierce, be formidable, get out there. I love it. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm thinking about how much of an influence uh, the pandemic has had on what we wear for work, because a lot of us, I'll include myself in this, spent two years dressing from the waist up. (laughs) And every day I had my sweatpants on with my house slippers. And then, you know, the whole rest of it from the waist up. And I think we, I mean, I don't, I don't intend to run around in my sweatpants and my house slippers, but I think we got used to being a bit more casual and realized it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we're seizing the comfort and making it okay to be comfortable and we're not willing to relinquish it. So now even in suiting, let's say you want to wear a suit, you like suits, you want to wear suited separates or tailored clothing. There's still a huge degree of comfort that needs to be built into those things in order for those things to survive. When I go looking around for things now, I don't see the same old things. I see beautifully constructed things in amazing colors I see really, I went and bought myself three pairs of pants because none of my pants fit. I had to go to a conference in Rhode Island. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I need three days of outfits. Got to buy some pants. And I have knit tops that are fantastic and comfortable, but I just don't, you know, and I don't want to give up and wear a giant flowy top 
and some leggings. <laughs> like, and no shade to anybody who wants to do that. I get it. 100% do it. If you love it and you feel amazing, great. But if you're doing it just because you're giving up, no, <laughs> call me. Like, that's not, we're not going to go gentle into that good night. Not going to happen. Spent, I hate shopping also. I just Ugh, yeah, really hate the it. worst. But I'm getting ready to do something. Um, and I needed <laughs> um, a new jacket because okay. I, have had, I have worn the same red jacket for every talk I've given for the last, I don't know. And I have, brand. I love your red jacket. And I think, good, because <laughs> you've, so I thought, I can't, I can't, I can't keep wearing that red jacket all the time. So I went out and I thought, I'm going to, I'm just going to pick something up and then I'll, and then I'll go to work. I spent three hours in a shopping center that had really, really nice stores. I mean, some, some very upscale that I couldn't, I didn't even walk into, but, and everything, I'm in Northern California and everything in every store was black, gray, white, muted gray, blue, brown, or tan. Yep. Except in the swimsuit department. (laughs) There were gorgeous colors in the swimsuit department. I got right. so frustrated that in one shop, I said to the woman, we sell such boring clothes in Northern California. And she agreed with me. And um, yeah. it really, I don't know if, the, the, I think it's not true in all parts of the country, but I think there are there are trends in different parts of the country and that's what you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. Shopping, well, online shopping gives you more range now. Because you can buy beautiful, colorful things from countries that love color, right? All over Latin America, there's amazing brands that love color. And sometimes you have to shop in places that you're not expecting to shop. I go to Topshop, which is a UK brand. Uh, They have stores in the Hudson's Bay here in Vancouver in Canada. Um, But Topshop has colorful things. They have colorful things. And I miss color so much. I literally went there and bought a pair of sky blue pants, wide leg. I bought a pair of burgundy pants, beautiful wine color. Uh, and I bought a pair of jeans that have cargo pockets on them. They're like 70s jeans, wide leg. I love them. They're the bomb for traveling. Um, and I had a pair of gray pants that I bought from Maritzia. Uh, you're, you know, in the middle of the pandemic with elastic waist because my, I sat around and drank martinis and ate Doritos all pandemic. So... <laughs> What's heavier, right? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this work. I'm just going to make it work. But sometimes you have to shop in places you're not expecting to shop. Well, my two favorite shops closed during the pandemic. No, and so I was. I'm sort of now. What do I do now? What do I do? I have a question for you, though, Sarah. You you said I can't keep wearing this red jacket. Why? Well, I'm going to keep wearing it. It's just I think I need one other thing to go switch back and forth. Um, Steve Jobs always wore black turtlenecks. <laughs> I just, I, um, I've even gotten a little tired of my red jacket. Okay, which See, that's I, different. I, I love, but yeah. um, like if you're tired of it, that's one thing. It's sort of like when you're traveling and every day you have on the same thing. Yes, you're every bored. Every single picture you have exactly the same thing. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway, tell me about. I don't understand a collection of long stories in short. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. What does that sentence mean? Uh, Well, it's because my books that I've published. So this is a thing that I did post 50. That's really been great. 
Um, just prior, so in 2016, my husband and I came to the realization that we were not monogamous people, which is kind of an interesting relation uh, or interesting realization to have this far into our marriage. I mean, we've been together since 2002, so almost 20 years. Oh, actually, yes, 20 years together and 17 years married. So this is, you know, a few years ago we discovered this. And so I had a wonderful relationship with a wonderful man outside of my marriage for four years. And I'm a poetic soul. So during the course of that time, I wrote a whole bunch of poetry to him. And when it ended in COVID, thank goodness, because, you know, this guy was actually cheating on his wife the whole time. Very bad karma. I'm like, I don't want that. And uh, I adored him and loved him. And we had a great relationship except for that. And I'm like, look, can I just take your wife out for coffee and like book a weekends with you? Like, we'll just get out the Google calendar and schedule your time. (laughs) Like, stay married. I love that you're married. (laughs) Anyway, so I wrote, (laughs) looking at all this poetry and I started to write a business book. That's what I wanted to write. I went to this writer's retreat and this, this poetry kept coming up in my face. And the book is called Love is Not Pie variations on a monogamish theme. Meaning that, you know, Sarah, if I give you some love, I have lots of love to give other people. It's not pie. Time is pie, which is where the Google calendaring comes in. So I couldn't help myself. And I I sat down with my writing coach and I'm like, you know what? I think I need to write this story. And she's like, okay, write the background. So I did. I wrote a bunch of poems that told the background. And then she said, okay, this is great. La la la. We got the background. You're in love. Yeah. Yeah. We get it. It's all hot and steamy. Well, where are the teeth? write the teeth. And I'm like, oh, I can write the teeth. So I wrote all the, all the bad stuff. Cause it was, you know, that's a terrible situation to be in. Um, and so, yeah, that was my long story. So I wrote the whole thing, but it's poems. And then my second book called songs for my father is also a story, uh, detailing the relationship of how my relationship with my father, which is troubled, affected my singing career basically in my, my artistic life. So that's why I say long stories and short poems because they are all short poems, but there's an arc which is not often a thing in poetry collections. Oh, that's fun. Okay, mm-hmm. I've got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're like, oh my God, that was way more information. Long stories and hear. short poems. And <laughs> I wonder yeah. if that's a typo. I wonder. If- no, that's what they are. And so and so, there's seven books that I planned in the series and I'm working on book three, which is Wild Dirty Child, all about the interior artist self. Huh. Yeah. And tell me about your songwriting. Yes, I just started doing this. But years and years ago, when I was a kid, I used to write poetry and I used to write hooks. And I, I've always been a bit obsessed with hooks in songs, you know, like that little catchy bit of the lyric that just is the earworm that keeps going around in your head. And I love to write those. And then, of course, I got into competitive opera and you know all those things and kind of left it behind. And again, through my writing coach, I was interviewed on a podcast that she has with a songwriter, um, music producer. And we got into a room together and he had read Love is Not Pie and he had had some of his own reflections on that because he's fiercely monogamous. And so his whole thing is like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Like I would be constantly thinking about the other man and la, 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 la. So we ended up, he wrote a hook, which um, I changed the gender, but of course he wrote it as him. But the hook is like, do you ever touch her the way that you touch me? Is there not enough in our story to love me? We went from forever to honey, don't rush me. Cause it's you and me and a ghost makes three. And then there's more. And I wrote all the lyrics and then we're like, okay, I guess we're going to record this. So we went into the studio or actually, no, before that we got together again and we were writing some more stories from Love is Not Pie or like, you know, using that as source material. And we ended up writing this really filthy, dirty sex jam. 
rap song. So it's this beautiful creative explosion that is happening to me right now that I'm just loving. I'm just loving it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do that thing. So sure enough, we get in the studio and record it. And I, you know, the masters are going to be done when they're done, when the engineer is done producing them. And who knows what's going to happen next. But right now it's like my business is changing. My creativity is exploding. My marriage has really been amazing. Like this whole polyamorous adventure and negotiating all the things about like, what does fidelity mean? What does loyalty mean? What does commitment mean? What does intimacy mean? What's sex like? What all these things like it forces you to really examine what you believe and not just ride the relationship escalator up to the top of, you know, marriage and heteronormativity. So it's not the same. And I think it forces you to, to, to decide what you believe. That's right. It's like, and to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to live out loud. Sometimes I feel like my whole life right now is like a walking permission slip for everybody else out there. It's like, I can do it. You can do it too. Come on. It's fun. Get out here. (laughs) So what does it take to write a good song? Oh, what does it take to write a good song? Um, Fearlessness. Fearlessness. And you have to be willing to write a lot. Like just, just put it out there. Not everything is going to be a winner. So Alex Sisarev is the guy that I'm writing with. And he's got an an enormous catalog and he's taught in music schools and does a bunch of really cool things. And he's a cool dude. And he writes every day. He writes all that. He just writes all the time. And so I always have, like, for me, I don't write every day. I write when the inspiration strikes me. But of course, I'm not, I'm not making my living at it. And that's what he does for a living. But one thing that we talked about is you have to be willing to be terrible, (laughs) right? You have to be willing to be terrible. And there's going to be lots of, you know, bits that are like, okay, and bits that are not okay. And then you just pick the stuff that's great and go with it. So I think you need to have a certain flair for lyric. You have to have a certain um, ear for the sticky bits. I think that helps. And you have to understand a little bit about song structure. And for me, I'm, I admit that I'm quite new to this world and Alex is very knowledgeable. So he's been extremely helpful. Um, and we've had some really good discussions because he doesn't believe what I believe. And he's a, he's a dude, right? He's, he's like alpha male, hardcore pit bull having kind of guy. Fun. He's a guy's guy and he's great. And he's also comfortable enough in his own masculinity to, to talk about all these kinds of things. And yeah. that's, we need more men like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what's next, Catherine? What's next? Well, I am currently taking on individual clients in my practice. So I'm working on that. I am improving my own consulting ability uh, in business in general and process consulting, which is interesting because then you can apply a process to any other kind of problem, not just a straight up leadership problem. Because often leadership problems are not necessarily about the people. (laughs) It's usually about the systems, usually about something else. So it's helpful for me to have a good understanding of those things. And so I'm looking for my corporate clients as well to coach teams. And I'm I'm gonna do some more writing, gonna get my next books out. And I'm just gonna see what happens. My husband transitioned his career just this last year into film editing, which is where he belongs. And so the two of us are having this enormous explosion of exploration right now. And I can't wait. So sometimes when you say what's next, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. 
whatever happens, I'm going with it. I'm just listening to the whispers. You know, there's a little bit of me listening to the whispers and having faith and saying, you know what, universe, I'm not exactly sure. Here's where I want to go because I have some philanthropic things that I want to do. I work with um, the New Leaf Project here in Vancouver, which is uh, homelessness, aimed at ending homelessness. So um, we do have a terrible problem with that in our country and particularly in Vancouver. And so this particular organization gives direct cash transfers to people who are experiencing homelessness um, and have been tracking them over the last few years. And uh, 85 to 95% of them are out of homelessness for good at the end of the year. It's an incredible result. It's an incredible, incredible result. That is incredible. Yeah. And so for every $8,500 check I write them, someone is lifted out of homelessness for good. And so I would like to write more $8,500 checks. So that's that's what's next for me. I just want to... Because yeah. as, as far as I, uh, uh, there are several things that are going on right now that seem to me to be just intractable problems. And one mm-hmm. of them is homelessness, but it's not, it's not intractable. It is not. It is not. And it's, it's really interesting, the research that they're doing. They're doing it in conjunction with UBC um, up here as well. And they're tracking it because I think they would like to eventually tie it to a case for universal basic income. That actually money does solve a lot of problems. But you have to be willing to give it, and you have to be willing to give it without strings attached. You have to be willing to give it without strings attached, and you need to be willing to track it then, because you have right. to be able to prove. Right, right, and the, and they're doing that. They're making a case for it, and I think that that's a great improvement. I I'm happy to pay my taxes. I don't want people to be living on the street, and I want people to be cared for. So whatever we need to do to do that, and and part of that is the responsible exercise of leadership. We talk about that a lot in my writer's group of wise women, where we have people in leadership and in power who are not responsible with their exercise of power. And that needs to change. Yes. Yes. So, Catherine, I can imagine people may want to get in touch with you. How can they do that if they want to? So there I'm easy to find my last name, L-A-Z-A-R-U-K, Catherine Lazarek, easy to find. And you can find me on LinkedIn for my professional work. You can find me on Instagram for a slightly more personal view. Uh, I do tweet on Twitter under Catherine Lazarek, <laughs> but it's all my own opinions. It's not at all polished. It's just what I want. And if you want to contact me, my website, lzrkconsulting.com. Do that one more time slowly. So if somebody wants sure. to write it down. My professional website is lzrkconsulting.com. For those of us in the United States, Z is Z. Z. Oh, yeah, right. I thought about that as I was saying it. <laughs> I thought about that too. So, yes, you can find me there. I'm easy to find. Please come and find me if you want to talk more or you want to learn about my work or my writing or you just want to have a chat. Happy to talk with you. So that's our time today. Please join us again. You can find out Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. Find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you so much to my guest, Catherine Lazarick. This has been so much fun. And just say one more time with your email how people can get in touch with you. So my website is lzrkconsulting.com, or you can Google me, Catherine, K A T H E R I N E. Lazaruk, L-A-Z-Z-A-R-U-K, at any time, and you'll find me. So thank you all for being with us. Take care, spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to stay updated, you can head over to my website, primesparkwomen.com, and get my free spark guide, Seven Questions to Ignite Your Spark, to help you discover your own spark. See you in the next episode.